take this lightly, please. We uh, get to meet with our God. So sing out as a church of people we have redeemed. Let's sing together. I'm here to meet with you.
For you, O Lord, I do wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me, who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I'm sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They are mighty. And many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good. Accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Father, we confess this morning the sin that we've committed. We are sorry for our sin, sorry for the ways that we've turned away from you. We admit that we are not the people that that have it all together. That we need you, Lord, to save us, to rescue us from ourselves. Lord, there's sin within us and there's also sin out there and we, we long for your salvation from the brokenness within us and the brokenness in this world. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to live fruitful lives. We thank you for the forgiveness that you give us so that we are set free, so that we don't have to live in bondage to guilt or to our sin any longer, that we don't have to be afraid, but that we can live a life of fruitfulness and of goodness, following after you, pursuing you, waiting on you to transform us. We pray that you begin that now. You begin to make us new. In Jesus' name, amen.
God, we proclaim that you are Lord of all. God, may we take hold of that. Lord, we pray that you'll be the leader in our lives. God, help us to trust you above all other things. God, that you can give us what we need, God. We thank you for your provision for our souls. God, in your son, we thank you that you paid the price to bring us back to you. God, I pray that you'll help us to listen to your word, God. Make it a part of our lives. Lord, help us to do what you would have us to do. That's your name I pray. Amen. Good morning again. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to 2 Timothy 4. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 4 today. If you don't have a Bible, we're on page 996 in the Bibles under the chairs, and you're welcome to grab one of those. If you don't have one at home, you can take that home to use, um, or if you do, you can uh, borrow it for the time being. But we're in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. We've been talking through uh, 2 Timothy, and as a church, we've talked a little bit about how God has taken us through really tremendous growth as a church, and we're, we've looked at different ways of restructuring and trying to have a, a better strategic plan for how to go forward and be good stewards of what God has given us here. And so part of what we've been doing is, is learning from the pastoral letters in Titus and 2 Timothy this semester. Um, so we've, we're concluding 2 Timothy here in a few weeks. Over the summer, we're going to be doing more of a topical series on Christian life and the family and looking at family dynamics. Um, and I'm sure most of you have it all figured out and have perfect families, but for the few of us that need some help in that area, uh, hopefully that'll, that'll be a, a good time of learning over the summer. Um, but in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul really zeroes in on kind of like his, his primary priority for the church and for Timothy. He says, you know, I, I charge you, don't, don't forget this. If, if you forget everything else, don't forget this one thing. And throughout 2 Timothy, we've seen this kind of sense of urgency that Paul has uh, because he's about to die. He's, he's in prison. He knows his time is short. And he's passing what he's been given on to the next generation and encouraging the church to continue to do that as well. So that's why we've called the series Carry On. It's this idea that we wouldn't just let this die with us, that we've been given this grace and this goodness from God and that we would share it with others, with our children, with our friends, with our neighbors. Uh, that we would be a, a movement that grows, a movement that, that multiplies, that, that carries on. This morning it's called Preach Christ. And what Paul is saying here in this section is to make sure you don't forget to continue proclaiming Christ. And we've talked about this some before, but if, if we forget to proclaim Him, then we're not really a church anymore. Because that's kind of what makes us a church, is Christ and our relationship with Him. In Acts chapter 6... Uh, there's this little section where the apostles find that there are some widows that are getting overlooked and they need to, to find some men to devote their time and energy to help those widows. Um, a lot of people say those were like the first deacons that came to assist. And what the apostles said in Acts chapter 6 is that they have to make sure that they remain faithful to the task that Jesus had given them to preach the word, to continue proclaiming Jesus, <coughs> proclaiming him to everyone around. So they want to make sure they don't get get knocked off course, that they continue to do that. And that's really kind of the same emphasis then that Paul is giving to Timothy here, to continue to preach the Word, to continue to preach Christ. Let's read in verse 1 through 5 from chapter 4. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Paul says here, preach the word, and as we've talked over the last few weeks, we've talked about how... Uh, the scripture that they had before the New Testament was finished was the Old Testament scripture. And Jesus makes it very clear when he's walking with some of his followers on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24 that he is the main point of all of the Old Testament. Paul then, and Peter also, then joins this apostolic message, message of Jesus 
being the answer, the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament, and his life and death and resurrection, they join those messages together and they say that is one cohesive message, one word about who God is and what he's done for us. And so when we talk about preaching the word, we're not just talking about individual words. Yes, all of God's word is inspired and inerrant, but we're talking about the message of the whole word, and that is Jesus himself. And so our charge as a church, just the same charge that Timothy has here, is to continue to be faithful to preach Christ, the word, the word, as it says in John, that became flesh and dwelt among us. Let's pray and ask God to, uh, to teach us about this this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus that gave his life for us. We thank you that he didn't stay dead, but he rose from the dead and lives forever, and that he's guaranteeing us and promising us eternal life. Lord, we pray that your spirit would come and teach us, that it would uh, take away any distractions that we might have and help us to hear from you and to understand your word clearly. We pray that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Well, I don't know how many history buffs we have here, but anybody remember what happened in 1862, September 22nd? Anyone here? It was the Emancipation Proclamation. Very famous day in American history. It was during the Civil War, and the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, literally uh, the Freedom Proclamation, that's what emancipation is, uh, this, this thing was proclaimed, it was preached, it was told publicly, throughout the nation, that now the slaves were free. And if you know much about the history at that time, it was really kind of a messy thing, and, and the, not all the slaves were immediately freed. And it really took several years. That was really kind of part of the war. And it took several years for the Constitution to be amended and for, for full freedom to be enjoyed many years later. But that's where it all started. And this proclamation was then publicly announced from town to town. Letters were sent out. Messengers were sent out to proclaim this freedom now that people have. And Booker T. Washington talks about when this first began to break out. He said more singing in the slave quarters than usual was taking place. He says it was bolder. It had more ring and lasted later into the night. See, people were beginning to celebrate the freedom that they had. And as I said before, we need to be very careful that we don't forget this freedom, this message of freedom that we've been given in the gospel. That we continue as a church to proclaim the good news of who Christ is. That we continue to be about this message, preaching the word, proclaiming Christ. We've said this many times, that, that it's fine to have a social club, it's fine to be a service organization. Many of you are involved in many different clubs and in uh, the uh, community. But, but that's not the role of a church. The church is the place that proclaims Christ. There's many great things that we can join together to do as his people. Many great services that we can perform. But if we forget this first thing, this first thing that Timothy is charged with and that the church is charged with, then, then we're just a club. We're, we're not a church anymore. It's this message that makes us God's people. This message of freedom is what gives us our freedom, trusting by faith that Jesus has given himself for us. That's what transforms our hearts. That's what pushes us out to serve other people. Another thing I want to emphasize real quickly is that when we talk about preaching Christ or preaching the good news, um, that that's not just telling people that don't know about Christ, you need to know about Christ and become a Christian. But preaching the good news, that, that's part of it. But preaching the good news is also reminding those that already believe, that already trust in Christ, that He really is our only source of comfort in life and in death. And Christians need to hear that again and again. And so Paul's not just saying, hey Timothy, make sure you don't forget to tell people that don't know Jesus about Jesus. He's saying make sure that the church as a whole continues to proclaim this message of who Jesus is. Because it's central to everything else we do. It's central to who we are as His people. And it's the only thing that gives us hope to go on. It's not just the thing that converts us and helps us to, to know God in the first place, but it's the thing that helps us to get up out of bed every day. It's the thing that helps us to keep moving forward and being a blessing to those around us, to help us keep working in a hard and broken world. The, the first thing that Paul tells Timothy is that this is a solemn charge. First of all, this is, this is a charge that he's giving here. It's based... In authority, It's based in the authority of Paul as an apostle. It's based in the authority of Jesus as the one that's going to come back and judge everyone. 
He says in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing, and by His kingdom. This is kind of a long run-on list here of things. Paul is like pulling out all the stops, saying, I charge you in front of God. As God is my witness, I charge you. He's coming back to judge. As it says here in this translation, the, the living and the dead. You may have heard the old King James language, the quick and the dead. God is coming back to judge everyone. Whether you're moving or whether you're very, very still, you will be judged someday. Both the quick and the dead. Both the living and those that are no longer living. God is the one, Jesus is the one specifically that's going to judge all. And he has this authority. And Paul is saying, I am now charging you with this authority in front of Jesus to continue to be about this task, to continue to proclaim him and his, his leadership. What do we do with the charge that we've been given as the church? Do, do we take that charge seriously? One time my son was, was given a charge. He was staying with my mother-in-law. Uh, she lives up in Arlington, and, and uh, he and my two daughters were all staying there, and she had to go run some errands, and he's kind of an early riser, so... He was already up, but the girls hadn't woken up yet. So she said, all right, I'm putting you in charge. Take care of the girls. You know, if they wake up, let them know where I am. But you're in charge while I'm gone, okay? And, uh, you know, this was when he was like eight, I think, maybe nine. So when she left, he immediately ran. And I got a picture here of a kid jumping on a bed. He ran and uh, ran and started jumping up and down on their bed, screaming, I'm in charge. Wake up. Wake up. I'm in charge. you got to get out of bed and do what I say. <laughs> now, that's, that's probably not exactly what she had in mind when she left him in charge, right? Um, really, she just didn't want the girls to be scared and not know where she was. She just kind of wanted him to tell her, tell them what had happened. Uh, but he took that charge in the wrong way. And, and sometimes churches can have the wrong attitude too, right? We have this charge from God to be about his business and to speak for him. And sometimes we use that as like a club to beat people up. Sometimes uh, we don't do kind things with the charge that we've been given. But, but the charge here is to be about him. The charge here is to be about his word and what he has to say and to continue that message, to continue proclaiming it. There's an example of this and what this looks like in real life that Jesus gives in Matthew 24 and 25, which is a great parallel passage to go to this week if you're looking for something to study to just kind of think through what Paul is telling Timothy here. It's very similar to what Jesus was telling his apostles when he was leaving them behind, that, that the end is coming someday and how are you supposed to live while you're waiting for him to come back and judge everything? What is that supposed to look like? Well, the first parable that Jesus gives at the end of chapter 24, he says there are two kinds of servants. There's one servant that's the good servant, the wise servant, and he feeds the other servants while the master is gone. And then there's this other servant that's wicked, and he abuses the other servants while the master is gone. But which kind of servant are you going to be? We, we all live in this same broken, messed up world. We, we all have the same struggles. We all have the same insecurities. And the question is, are we going to take the charge that we've been given and really believe that God gives us salvation, really believe that he's redeemed us, and take that and use that to, to feed, to serve, to help others? Or are we going to take that charge the wrong way and, and take whatever authority, whatever position, whatever power we may have to abuse others? Jesus says, make sure you're like that wise servant that makes good use of your time while the master is away. Because he's coming back someday. He's coming back to judge us. Paul makes it very clear. As I charge you, knowing that God is in control, knowing that Jesus is sovereign and he's going to come and judge the whole world, make sure you're about the things that really matter. The next thing we see is the stance. We should pay attention to the stance that we have as God's people, as God's messengers, as the church, who are here with the message of Jesus and who he is. In verse Excuse me, in verse 2, I grab a little water. It says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. This word, be ready, uh, could be translated as stance. It could be translated, some people say, be prepared. But it's this idea, this idea that you would be in the right position. That you wouldn't just go sit on the sidelines in life, but that you'd stay ready all the time. I found a picture here of a, uh, a runner who's in their starting blocks. 
that if someone really knows how to run their race, they're going to get ready, right? They're going to get down in the blocks. They're going to have their hands behind the line. Uh, when the, when the uh, gun goes off, they're going to be in position to run the race. And Paul is saying, you also have to be ready, Timothy. Stand at the ready. I was talking to a friend the other day uh, just about fighting and how different kind of fighters have different stances. Like this guy said, he's got shorter arms, so when he fights, he stays in uh, kind of a medium distance. You know, not too close, but not too far back, because if he gets too far back, then he's at a disadvantage because he has shorter arms. Somebody like me with like long monkey arms, I'm going to probably stand back a little bit, right, and take advantage of that. But Paul is saying that you've got to have your stance there. You've got to be ready at all times. And it's going to look different in different situations. You've got to really be ready for anything, because he says as you're preaching the word, as you're ready at all times, that you need to be ready in season and out of season. Literally in the good times and in the bad times. There are going to be times when it feels great. There are times when I wake up and, man, this is the coolest job in the world. There are other times when I wake up on Sunday morning and I feel like I'm about to die. And I've just kind of got to get out there and, and uh, try and pray that, that God uses something that I say anyway. And, and I know that's the way it is for you in your daily life. There, there are days that you just, you just don't feel it. And Paul's saying you've got to be ready at all times. In season and out of season. The good times and the bad times continue to proclaim this message of who Jesus is. And then he's careful to outline that, you know, it's going to look like different things in different situations. He says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. We know many times in, in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and in, in uh, the other book of Timothy and in this book, we get this picture that Timothy was a little bit timid, that he was a little bit shy and reserved, and he needed to be encouraged to rebuke, needed to be encouraged to speak boldly, to exhort others, to, to stand against the false teachers, to push back and to remain at the ready to keep this message going forward. And, and I think also we get a little insight that part of the Christian life, we, we're in this kind of age of tolerance now where, where we only believe in saying nice things, you know, and we only believe in, in being soft. We don't really ever believe in challenging each other. Uh, it's one of the fun things about look, working in a military town is it's not quite that bad here, that, you know, the wimpiness of the larger culture hasn't quite caught up with, with Fort Hood yet. Uh, but I'm sure it's, it's going to catch here a little bit too at some point. But, but there's this kind of softness in our culture where we, we don't really like anyone to say any hard things. We don't really like to challenge each other. And you have to be careful in the church because I know uh, as, my, as your pastor, I'm continuing to, to call you guys to get involved in deeper community with each other, right? We, we talk about that a lot, that I want you to, to get involved in, in redemptive relationships where you actually know each other and, and you're walking side by side and you're praying for each other and encouraging one another. And, and sometimes part of that is saying hard things doesn't mean that we're micromanaging each other's lives or, or speaking where Scripture doesn't speak. But it does mean that sometimes we're going to challenge each other from the Scriptures. We're going to say, hey, I, you said that you love Jesus, um, but your life looks like this. And I'm, you know, I'm just wondering why, what's the difference there? Why, why are you doing that? It seems like that's out of line. And we don't do it harshly. We don't do it in anger or in an attitude of judgmentalism but out of an attitude of love, because we love each other, because we want to encourage each other. And he says it's not just strong words, it's not just rebuking and, and exhorting and reproving, but he says also with complete patience and teaching. Complete patience, all patience, is literally, literally what he's saying here. That, that, you would, that you would suffer long, that you would hang in there with people. And that's a really important piece of doing community together. Because that's another problem I think our society has, is we're so used to friendships um, just being accidental, right? Our friends are the people that we just kind of run with for a while, and then we move somewhere else and we run with somebody else. But Christian community and Christian friendship is something that we have to kind of purpose to do. We have to kind of hang in there with people sometimes when they're difficult. We don't have the freedom to just go, oh, well, you annoy me, so I'm not going to hang around with you anymore. But, but we're called to, to suffer with people to struggle side by side, to hang in there, to encourage each other, even when things get difficult, not to just bail out every time something uncomfortable happens. I just want to challenge us if, if this is really what it looks like, if, if we're really called as the church to continue to proclaim the truth of who Jesus is no matter what, are we doing that in our daily life? How does that look in your life? Are you proclaiming Christ, the truth of who He is, the good days and the bad days? Have you set up uh, habits in your life to preach the gospel to yourself? 
to proclaim to yourself who Christ is? Do you, do you know Scripture? Are you learning it? Have you found verses that you can memorize, that you can write down, that you can tape on your mirror or stick in your car to remind you of God's goodness to you when you feel like you've blown it, when you feel like you've failed? To remember that God forgives you. To remember that He can still use you to make an impact on the world around you. I want to encourage you to find ways to make that happen. Find ways to engage God's Word and to preach Christ to yourself, as well as sharing it with your friends and your neighbors and, and making clear this is who God is and this is what He's done for us. Yeah, we are sinners and yeah, I'm, I'm messed up just like you are, but I found hope in Jesus. I found some relief in Him. And that's the message that we have to share, that He gave Himself for us, not because of anything that we did to deserve it, not because of how great we are, but because of how great God is. And that's the message, that's the word that we have to share with others. The last thing that we see uh, here in the instructions that Paul gives to Timothy is that there will be resistance. There's going to be resistance to preaching Christ, to continuing that message, continuing to proclaim him to those around us. In verses 3, 4, and 5, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. He's saying here that people will not endure sound teaching. And we've talked about in the pastoral epistles in Titus and in Timothy, there's this term that comes up again and again about sound teaching, which means healthy teaching, healthy doctrine, which produces life. And that teaching is the teaching that's based on Jesus and what he's done for us. And then that produces fruit in our life as we begin to recognize God's goodness to us. Then love and joy and peace begins to come out from us. Then we begin to be transformed through our, through our hearts from the inside out. And he says, a time is coming when people won't listen to that kind of teaching. They won't put up with it. They won't endure it any longer. He says, they'll have itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And this word passions here is this word that we see again and again in the New Testament that describes the lusts of the flesh. It's this word for over-desires. It's where we take the desires for something good, and we make it ultimate. It's this word that, that's kind of a signal word for idolatry, where we take something good and we make it into a savior. We make it into a God. And so what these people are doing is they're bringing around them teachers that will tell them what they already want to hear. Like I may think that really acceptance is the key in life, so I'll gather around me some teachers that just talk all about acceptance and finding acceptance with one another and how really that's ultimate in life. Or I may think that financial security is really the answer. And so I'll gather around teachers, and that's all they talk about is financial security and the five steps to build wealth and the six steps to, to be financially secure and, and begin to think that that is ultimate in life. And really, I'm just gathering teachers who speak to the, to the desires of my own heart, to the passions of my own heart, to the false saviors that I've set up. I don't know what it may be for you. It may be relationships. It may be a, a better job or a better spouse that you may be looking for, or maybe success in some other way, or it may just be comfort. You may just be looking to escape the difficulty of life, so you just enter into a world of escapism or, or medicating yourself so you can forget the pain and not feel so much anymore. But the danger is that there's this human tendency we all have to resist the truth, to reject the truth, to reject what God says, to reject the answers that are found in Christ and say, I've got, I've got better answers. I have something else I'd, I'd like to try to save myself instead of trusting in Jesus himself. He says, I'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. They'll start believing stuff that's just crazy. It's not based on fact at all. Again and again in the New Testament, it's very clear that the apostles said, we're not telling you made-up stories. Peter even uses this, this word myths. He says they were not myths or cleverly invented stories, but we're telling you what we saw and felt and heard and experienced. For ourselves. Reality. Historically verifiable reality. Peter says that's the story that we give to you. And that's always been the message of the Christian faith. That it's this historic reality. That this man really lived a perfect life. And really died the death to take our place. To take our sins upon himself. And he really rose from the dead. That's the historic story. The message. The word of Christ. Of who he is. 
that he died for our sins and that he rose from the dead. And the Apostle Paul goes off in 1 Corinthians 15 talking about this message that's of first importance. Again, another good parallel passage to this. He says, this message is the message we passed on to you. It's of first importance. It's the message by which you stand and have life. And, and he did die and he did rise again and he did appear to many people. Paul says there's all these witnesses. You can go ask people. It's, it's real. It really happened. It's a true message. But Paul says, be careful, Timothy, because others will wander off in the midst. They'll find stuff, and they don't really care if it's true or not. They're just trying to find stuff that suits their own passions. He says, as for you, always be sober-minded. Back when we were in Matthew, this was the art we found for that Matthew 24 and 25 section that talked about being ready. Be on your guard, is what Jesus said. During this end time, this, this time where we are waiting for, for God to come back and make all things right. And we're struggling and we're frustrated because we see brokenness all around us. He says, be alert. Stay awake. Be watchful. Don't be the servant that falls asleep, but be the servant that stays awake. Don't be the servant that wastes your time, but be the servant that makes the most of the time that you've been given. And Jesus goes into great detail about this in Matthew 24. Talking about how we show that we're ready for Him to return. This word sober-minded in verse 5 reminds Timothy, Timothy, don't try to run away from it. Stay, stay alert. Stay awake. It's literally the word for basically, you know, don't be drunk. Be sober-minded. We find a lot of ways to escape, don't we? Because the world is a, a painful place. And we've all got our different ways of escaping. We've all got our different ways of, of finding a little relief from the pain of this world, from the pain of, of relationships, or the pain of problems at work or the pain of, of difficulties with our health. Paul's saying, don't, don't go that route. Don't, don't try to just uh, numb yourself. But stay alert, Timothy. Stay in the game. He says, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. That's his final charge here, is that he would endure suffering. There will be resistance. There will be pushback to this message of Christ. But if we follow Christ, we're not following Him so everything will be rosy and perfect now. And I know that it's dangerous to say that. It's dangerous to say that. I know it might hurt attendance at our church to say that Christ doesn't really promise to fix all your problems right now. But He promises a future when all your problems will go away. There are plenty of churches out there that if you give them enough money, they'll say that they'll fix everything now for you. Um, but I'm sorry to say that that's not really the promise of the gospel. The, the challenge that Paul has left for the church is that we would endure suffering. That we would endure evil. That, that we're left here in this difficult time to do God's work, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus who, who left the perfection of heaven and entered into the suffering that, that we live with, to give himself for others. God wants us to follow in Jesus' footsteps, to endure suffering, as he tells Timothy. There will be resistance to this message. It will be very difficult at times. But he says, endure suffering and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry, your service, he says. And here's another key where it helps us to understand that, that preaching the word is not something just for people that don't know Jesus. And preaching the word is not just something for people that do know Jesus, but it's this, this bookend to all of what he said here. He says, do the work of an evangelist. One who shares the good news. This word evangel is the, the Greek word for good news. We, we have our word gospel. Um, we have the word good news. It's this literally good message, good proclamation that we've been given. And so evangelism or an evangelist is one who shares that good news. He's saying, Timothy, keep sharing the good news. Keep proclaiming Christ. Keep publicly announcing who Jesus is in your ministry and everything that you do, teaching in, in good days and bad days and, and everything that you do. What are the, uh, what are the ways that, that we can do that in our personal life? Not all of you are called to, to preach publicly the way that I do. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful privilege that I have to get to share publicly who Jesus is. Sometimes I get to write an you know, article in a newspaper. Sometimes I get to speak to people in certain settings just because of the, uh, the opportunity I've been given to, to preach and be a pastor. But I think all of us, as part of the church, all have opportunities to share that message. 
There may be someone that you love very dearly that is struggling and is looking for hope, is looking for answers, and God is nudging you and calling you to share the good news of who Jesus is with them. As I said earlier, we need to be preaching the gospel to ourselves as well. We need to make sure we know this truth and we remind ourselves of this truth and we listen to it and we soak ourselves in it. Are you arranging your life in such a way where you can continue to hear the truth and you don't just hear it on Sunday mornings, but you're preaching it to yourself all the time? Are you proclaiming it to others in your words and are you proclaiming it to others in the things that you do as well? Are you willing to endure suffering, as Paul says here, to struggle with others, to model for them who Jesus is and what he did for us? That's the call of the church, to proclaim him in everything that we do, to make sure that the world understands that we're the people that need him. We're not the people that, that say, we're better than you, we've got to figure it out, y'all are a bunch of losers, we've got our little club where we, we're all nice and pretty and happy. That, that's, that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is a group of people that recognize that we are lost without Jesus, that we need Him. So we must continue to proclaim that message to ourselves and to people on the outside, that He's our only hope, that He's the only thing that will save us. There's this great episode of uh, Andy Griffith. Any of you watch Andy Griffith? Great episode of Andy Griffith. Profound truths are taught in this show. And there's this one episode, I think it's one of the early episodes, where Aunt B, Aunt B is the kindly older aunt that takes care of Andy and his son Opie because Andy's wife has died. And so it's just Andy and his son. And so, of course, they, they need a woman in their life to help, you know, help them survive. And Aunt B comes and, and helps you know, bring some, some harmony to their life and takes care of them. And, and there's this week where Aunt B is gone. And, uh, and things kind of fall apart, really, when she's gone. Like everything's just complete chaos. Uh, they're just kind of like living in a pig pen, and they're not eating well, and it's just it's, it's a total mess, and they really miss her. But then the day comes when she's going to come back, and they rush around to clean everything up, and they hurry, and they're, oh no, she's coming back soon, we got to get all cleaned up and act like everything was okay, right? And that's, that's kind of what we do sometimes, isn't it? Instead of, instead of going to God for help, we, we just try to clean our own life up and just pretend we don't need it, act like everything's okay. And in the story, Aunt B comes back and she sees everything cleaned up and she's kind of surprised, really, and is asking Andy how everything went. And he says, oh, we were fine. We, we got fine without, you know, we got by fine without you. We didn't need you. Everything was, everything is fine. And he thought he was being nice, you know, making her feel better. He didn't want to worry her. But Aunt B at that point decided, well, maybe they don't need me anymore. I guess I'll move on and go somewhere else. So I guess, I guess they don't need us. Or they don't need me. And it really broke Aunt B's heart. Well, God, God is a little smarter than Aunt B, and He knows that you need Him. You see, God's not like Aunt B that can't see you scurrying around trying to fix everything that's broken. He can see through the doors and the windows of that home. And He knows how messed up we are. And the point is the church is not to scurry around and clean ourselves up to pretend that we don't need Him, but to continue to proclaim that He is it. He's our only hope. We're not making it without Him. He's our only answer. He's the only answer we've got. Continue to proclaim that message to those on the outside and to those on the inside. He's it. We need Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your grace to us to give us Your Son. And we thank You that You didn't leave us in our mess, but You came after us. You sent Your Son, Jesus, to live the perfect life in our place, to die the death that we deserve, to rise from the dead, to guarantee the future life that we can enjoy. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live our life now well in light of that truth, that we would proclaim who you are in our words and in our deeds and in everything that we do as your people, that we would proclaim you, that we would publicly lift you up as we continue to preach the word day in and day out. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And in this song, we just kind of ask God that He will use us to proclaim His truth and His love to the world. So let's sing out together.
Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.